Hi, I'm David Pogue. Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your digital home for the RVing lifestyle. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com for additional information about each episode. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot, talking to you from an undisclosed Ooh, location undisclosed. somewhere between <laughs> the Indian Ocean and the Pacific Ocean. And this more is because we don't that. even know where we are. We're in the middle of the ocean. More on that later. More on that later, exactly. But we want to thank you for listening uh, to episode number 224 of the RV Navigator for December 2023. And December means it's near Christmas. This is the big... Christmas episode, but we don't have any gifts. Well, we can talk about gifts. Okay. We assume that most of you are in recovery from overeating <laughs> too much turkey and pumpkin pie. And we're on a cruise, which so we, we are too. Which we are not because we totally miss Thanksgiving. However, we, we did see some things that made us laugh about Thanksgiving that we wanted to share with you. <laughs> and why did we miss Thanksgiving? Because we were in an undisclosed location that doesn't well, celebrate we were in, Thanksgiving. Uh, we were, Thanksgiving is a fairly local to the United States holiday, and nobody else celebrates it like we do. But they all have Black Friday, which is amazing to me. They have the shopping, but they don't have the holiday. So Even the Canadians don't celebrate Thanksgiving when we do. Right. They sell it in October. Right. So here we are in the middle of Asia, and there's no celebration for Thanksgiving. So shall we share a few Thanksgiving laughs, laughs anyway while it's fresh in our minds? These are pretty funny. This Thanksgiving, let's go around the table and all say where we'd rather be. <laughs> I guess that's something that we did this year. We were nowhere near our family. And, I, and I guess because we're here, that's that gives you a, that makes that even more poignant. And the next one could also be used at Christmas time. <laughs> Sorry I didn't make mashed potatoes. The potato masher was stopping me from opening the drawer. <laughs> that could easily happen to me in the RV, especially. The school said we should teach the kids the history behind the holidays. So for Thanksgiving, I'm making piggies in a small box blanket. Small pox. Box blanket. <laughs> okay, next one. I will tell you right now that no one at the Butterball hotline will even talk about Hunter Biden's laptop. They act like it never happened. Now, if you're not listening to this in 2023, then you may not understand that. You might that. not remember Hunter Once again, laptop. I've been asked to bring a bag of ice to the family Thanksgiving dinner. A bag of ice. This what does that tell you about this, my cooking skills? This made, made us think of a colleague that we worked with when we were still teaching. Long ago, we had a big potluck, and everybody was supposed to bring something. And this guy was a very young, obviously a bachelor, who brought a glass Pyrex square dish with clear green jello in it. Nothing added. <laughs> it did gel, so we have to give him credit for that. Now, so that's somebody you want to ask to bring the ice. So if you bring the ice, that means you're not a good cook. Exactly. Right? <laughs> These two turkeys the president pardoned knocked over a liquor store last night. <laughs> I'm so excited for a short work week, the oblivious turkey said. If any of you are going Black Friday shopping this week, please try to be a decent human being and turn your phone horizontal before recording any fights. Why don't people use the camera more horizontally? 
My personal touch to Thanksgiving: when guests finish the food on their plates, they see the message. <laughs> it's it's time to leave. <laughs> Oh yeah. At any point during our Thanksgiving, there are three or four family members legitimately concerned <laughs> that it's just an elaborately staged intervention. <laughs> oh, that's oh. sad. <laughs> well, that's our contribution for Thanksgiving. That's and our we holiday hope you, talk. Yeah, you, we hope that you appreciated it. It's the best we can do uh, from long distance. So, so where are we? Well, we are on a cruise, which we are doing after a land tour that we did of several countries in Asia. Southeast Asia. And we are going to be here for... Uh, two months altogether. Two, two months altogether, but on the cruise for another month. And we are going to be doing Indonesia for two weeks, and then we do Malaysia for two weeks. So that's going to be quite an interesting itinerary for us, because uh, we're going to numerous spots we haven't been. And before that, though, we but wanted... we almost didn't get here at all. We almost didn't get here at all, and why not? Because we got on the plane in Chicago. Well, you know, and you get up. This and flight it, was at twelve thirty p.m. So we waited all day, and then we go to the airport at eight thirty. You know, at night, and you're saying, "Well, okay, it's an eighteen, uh, thirteen-hour flight, and I'm going to sleep most of the way." So the plane takes off on time, and we fly due north for three hours. We can follow our route on the map, and we can see that we're somewhere over the Canadian Arctic tundra somewhere. When the pilot gets on the PA and says, this plane is making a funny noise, and I don't like it, and we're going to turn around and go back to Chicago. I had been sleeping when he brought, I mean, I didn't have any real idea what was going on, because all of a sudden the pilot comes on to the intercom, and says, we're flying back to Chicago. Back to Chicago? Six out. We arrive at 6 a.m. Like, what the hell? What are we going to do at 6 a.m.? Now, just as a, and a small aside, when you drive from our house to O'Hare Airport at, in a limo, it costs you $125. So we had already spent $125 to get to the airport earlier in the day. Uh, that's pretty normal for us in terms of of the cost of getting to the airport, but we didn't anticipate having to go back home. Well, we didn't have to go back home. This was a very big plane with 300 or so people on it who all stood in a very long line to get rebooked to another flight sometime Which in the future to try once again to go to Asia. And uh, the line just did not move. We stood there an hour. Over an hour, and, and we just I just said, give me a break. It's 6 a.m. in the morning. I haven't slept for hardly any time during the night. And the plane left at 12.30 a.m. And uh, so... And one thing we thought about was just rebooking ourselves. Um, I've read that you can sometimes call an airline and do it um, at, on a phone call. I've read about using social media to have somebody try to help you. But the people at O'Hare assured us that the only way to take care of this was to stand in line and have them rebook us. And after about an hour, we said, no way, Jose. And so I got on my phone. I went to their website. <laughs> And I just plain rebooked us for a day later, actually two flights later. They fly this this plane every day, and so I booked us for two nights later. They had seats, 
And I paid the price. I just bought new tickets. And of course, this was slightly risky because it was not a small price. And I kept thinking, God, I hope they give us our money back for the flight that never that never was, that only went to the Arctic Tundra and turned around. But lo and behold, within 72 hours, yep. the money came back to us. So, so God they, bless. they refunded the original ticket price, which was the same as the ticket price that we had that we were paying for the new flight two days later. The good thing for us, though, and something for you, dear listener, to consider, is that you need to give yourself a little cush, a little cushion between... When you have to be someplace and when you leave to go to that place. Because if we had not had the cush, we had three days of cush. If we had not had that in there, we would have been really up a creek. Because we wouldn't have made the beginning of our land trip. It makes you feel so helpless. Yes. And... You never know about these. Di- this was called a diversion. I don't know why exactly, but because the flight was diverted yeah. over Canada, and so you never know when these things are going to happen. And they are definitely infrequent, and we haven't had it of instance like this in the past. And as dreaded as we were, we are glad that you are not reading about us um, crashing into the tundra. And <laughs> Which is bringing, one of the other issues. Bringing the RV Navigator podcast to a bitter end. Yes. <laughs> we did make it safely two days later, and I went to sleep at, you know, the flight left at 1230. I went to sleep just like I did before, and... Uh, this time, though, I woke up and it was uh, time for dinner, or the, and or it we was were the, almost there. Or it was the day before, because when oh, you go toward another, Asia, uh, we don't even want to talk. You cross the international dateline, uh, which adds to the confusion. We are so confused about what time it is. No, not only the time, but the day, <laughs> because you leave on a Monday and you arrive on Wednesday, and what the hell happened to Tuesday? Nobody knows. And of course, when we talk to people back home. It's exactly 12 hours time difference. So it's day for night. And, of course, that takes you a while to recover from anyway. And as we mentioned, I think, last month, we could have flown either east or west from Chicago, and the time it would take to fly to Singapore was about the same, regardless of which way we went. Uh, We chose to fly west, but our original flight was from the east to fly east over through Turkey. It's amazing how far you can fly, you can fly in a few hours. So if you want to spend 24 hours of your life <laughs> flying somewhere, our philosophy, well, this, as you well know, oh, this was more than 24 is, hours. is that you might as well stay for a while. So we have managed to back-to-back two very different kinds of trips while we are here in Asia. First of all, we traveled with our favorite land organization, OAT, Overseas Adventure Travel, and we did a a trip that began in Bangkok, went to um, Laos, Cambodia, and Vietnam, and was quite intense in terms of activities and all the things that we learned and did. And uh, I think originally my main goal in taking this trip was that I really wanted to see Anchor Wat. Um, <laughs> oh, and I did too. Yes, that was that, really the highlight of my That took some persuading on my part, I must say. She convinced me that I wanted to go to Anchor Wat. Mm. But what really became of this yes. trip is that it was a huge study in what war does to people, uh, what it's like to live in a communist country these days, the power of the human spirit to overcome huge amounts of cruelty and deprivation and anxiety. 
we really admire the people in, in Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos because of all the things that they had to endure, many of which happened within our lifetime that we were vaguely aware of just from reading the news. But when you're when you have tour guides whose families were um, assassinated or had to flee the country in a boat and almost drown, they get past it and go on and have a good life and the value that they attach to families and to being kind to one another. Uh, I think the Buddhist philosophy of that part of the world was really telling. We are much more likely to want to control everything, which when you're living in that kind of a situation, you simply can't, and um, to forgive and forget. And we were very impressed by the people that we met there. Yes, uh, I I had not anticipated, I, I don't know, we kind of hear about World War II, and you go to, to battlefields of World War II, and it's all been kind of sanitized. You know, you go to Normandy beaches, and you know, you kind of have to envision what was what went on there. But in in this case, we went to the <laughs> the fields of of uh, Vietnam War, which of course we lived through, and things are still very fresh. No real animosity towards the United States that we could tell, but there were minefields still a problem in several countries, and that they have these cluster bombs that we that we drop dropped. On them. I forgot eight million pounds of cluster bombs that they dropped onto. Uh, Laos, and they are still exploding and killing people today. And they still have teams out trying to locate these cluster bombs and and uh, deactivate them, which is really sad. I mean, all this time, and little kids getting blown up and stuff, I mean, it's just really horrific what we did to these folks uh, with these bombs. There was no anticipation that this would be uh, such a long-term problem, but because these bombs were not perfect, 30% of them didn't explode. So the bomb, the cluster bomb, went over the enemy and did what it had to do. And then 30% of them just fell to the ground. Or buried and, in the soil. Or were buried in the soil. And over the years, they've just kind of gotten covered up. And so somebody comes along, accidentally steps on one, or you know, takes a spade and sticks it into the ground as a farmer. And... <laughs> blows off his legs. And these cluster bombs reminded me of tennis balls in size yeah. and weight, and you could see a kid playing with one, and yeah. and that would be the end of him. Uh, one of the places we went to was a rehabilitation center where people had gotten, what do I call it, replacement limbs. Yeah. It's, got, it's got a name, which was a sobering experience as well. And then, of course, once the Vietnam War ended in Cambodia, they had 10 years of what they called the killing fields, which was an internal conflict. Over a third of the population died. So was assassinated. In 10 years, yes. yes. Just stunning. And, of course, we get to see the, the bones and the, the locations. It's, it's, you know, it's like the Holocaust, and, and you know, the Jewish people have been scarred by that for, for their whole the time since World War II, and this is equally as bad for the Cambodian people. And, of course, as we're listening to these heartrending stories, we're thinking about what's happening in Ukraine. We're thinking about what's happening in Gaza and Israel. It's like we haven't learned anything. And the inhumanity of man-to-man yeah. -man is just hard to wrap your mind around. Very sobering experience. And then, of course, Vietnam, which, of course, is what's very famous for, that's the name of the war. But in Vietnam, they are... Uh, constantly having search for mines, which are 
you know, were laid by either the North or the, or the Americans uh, to keep people from flowing freely between various points. And those mines are still there. And now they have, I, I have a hard time even saying this, they have rats from Tanzania and they are specially trained, specially trained. to They're detect about three the mines. Or four, three or four pounds and they can sniff out TNT and they can find these mines and they are given a treat when they find one and then they dig it up so or blow it up this is this is how many years 50 years later and they are still in the throes of the aftermath of the war and a war that we've kind of forgotten about but they live it every day did i can't forget and you know we had at least four guides who have had experience personal, personal family, family experience. experience with either the regimes or the battles of the war and and uh, all of them they treated us like friends mm-hmm. i was i was pretty mm-hmm. shocked by that and many of them said that they recognized that when we did go to that area when we were young that we were there trying to help trying to stop communism that we were not there to colonize them unlike the french which had pretty well sewed up that area into the 1954 i think they left um, and they they understood our motivation, even though the things that we did caused them so much hardship and and sadness. However, I should add that we I enjoyed finally getting to see Anchor Wat. Well, we first let's say that we have added two more countries to our list. Okay, we had never been to Cambodia or Laos, and we found them to be very interesting countries. Not. Surprisingly overly scenic, but we found the lifestyle and the way people are... The culture. Culture. Are, the hospitality. Are very, very interesting. Uh, over, overwhelmingly welcoming to us as visitors. One of the good things that Oat does for us is we had a small group of only 13. So it makes the the travel experience very nimble, and you can do things that you just can't do with a busload of forty, or um, on your own because you don't. Or know, on your own because you're you not, have no people not, contacts. Yeah, you have no. Well, and you have no way to. You don't have enough people to do a, an event. So we did so many interesting things that were culturally oriented, like we went to to visit a midwife who was living on a. On a boat. On a floating house. It was like living in an RV, but she was in the middle of a lake in a floating home. And these these floating houses, of which there were 120 families, on floating houses, and every six months, based on the water level and things, they moved, which the whole village just picks up and moves to another location. Anyway, uh, she sat down with us and told us what the medical treatment was like. or The the, the lack of medical ep- treatment was yeah, like. What the birthing episodes were like in her community. You know, things you would never, ever have a chance to go and do these types of things. We rode on ox carts through villages, which was another... <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds so obvious or so ordinary, but it's really a, a really interesting experience when you're there living it. And in the three communist countries, um, while there certainly are cars, the dominant vehicle is a motorcycle or a scooter, and even the public transportation would be some sort of housing attached to a motorcycle. They were either tuk-tuks or jumbos or lambos. 
uh, depending on the country we're talking about, but um, you were we were able to ride yeah, on most, all of them. Most of these are not even called. They're not. You, you would not call it a motorcycle. It would be a scooter. Scooter. So it has a 50 cc between a 50 cc and 150 cc engine. They go about 45 miles an hour. Obviously, they're just for urban areas. So in Bangkok, for instance, the scooters outnumber the cars by at least two to one. I would say, and so. The cars have to follow standard traffic <laughs> rules laws. of the road. Like not driving on the sidewalk. Right. Not or passing, not driving the wrong way in the other lane. Not passing on the right and then but passing the, on the left. It <laughs> seems to us like the motor scooters are virtually unregulated. And because there are three to three times more of those than there are cars, it gives you this sense of just total chaos in the on the highways, or not on the highways, on the, on the surface streets. And people come up to a traffic circle, and the, the scooter, if he wants to turn left, he just kind of goes left and just goes the wrong way because that's closer for them. Or if they want, they weave in and out of the cars, and it's just... It's hard to believe that people actually can drive that way. Of course, being a pedestrian in that kind of a situation was rather... You have no rights. And huge intersections without a traffic light. And or I mean, a stop sign, that's nothing. Without any sort of traffic control. There's no police out there. There's nobody managing it. But everybody seems to know what they're doing. And we have to say we didn't see a single traffic accident the whole time we were there. Almost unbelievable yeah. that we, and we, no we spent a fair amount of time either in the bus or... No road rage. Yeah. Occasionally people would honk, which was kind of a just letting you know that I'm right behind you, three inches away from your fender, kind of a honk. And, of course, even though I could drive one of these scooters, could never drive it in this traffic. Okay, so it's one thing to sit and watch it, but one of our special tours was a, a progressive dinner where they hired uh, a college student who owned a, a scooter. All 12 of us got our own scooter, and we sat on the back of the one of these guys with one of these guys, and we rode around to various restaurants to and, have and a little bit And that's exciting traffic. To, try, to experience the traffic uh, firsthand, and that was quite an experience. And, of course... We were wearing helmets, but a lot of people don't. But these motors, these scooters are weaving in and out of everything. They have no windshield. Um, but looking at it from a little bit broader perspective, it actually makes the streets much more efficient because they get so many more vehicles. And how many times at home do you see a single person in a big car? Most of the time. Using a lot of gas. Most of, Most the, of the time. So here, everybody has their own private transportation. And you see... <laughs> Whole families on a 50cc scooter. Five people, four people, babies. Babies, kids. Ladies with beautiful skirts sitting side saddle. And some of the ladies had on this like a suit that was obviously to keep their clothes from getting soiled. And you wonder what happens in the rain. I don't know. We didn't have any rain, so we didn't actually see what happens. But it would be very difficult to drive in the rain, I would think. Not only would it be slick, but it would be hard on your face. Anyway, traffic is very different here in Asia. And we have seen this in India and other places, too. So it's this is not that uncommon. Um, I can't say that I would be an advocate of it, but it certainly works for them, I guess. So can we talk it. about Anchor Wat now? Anchor Wat? What? <laughs> in our schools, we study about the ancient Greeks, and we study about the Roman Empire, and we study about uh, who else had big empires. 
Egypt, um, but we have never really studied anything about Southeast Asia, and it too had a very advanced um, empire called the Khmer, K-H-M-E-R, I believe, um, which pretty well ran, owned, conquered all of Southeast Asia, and as part of their um, time of glory, they built a temple complex which holds over a thousand buildings it has many outbuildings as well as a main temple uh which was the piece de resistance so to say and of course after this empire fell uh many of these buildings succumbed to the ever encroaching jungle but the french when they were colonizing the area uh, began to notice uh, what was underneath all those jungle vines and trees and started to dig things out. Unfinished task, but to go there today and see stuff that was built so many years ago and in pretty good shape. All of it was colored and told stories from the king's life and from their religion. It was just an astonishing complex to see. Oh, yes, it was very astonishing. Well, you should have paid more attention. What's a photographically astonishing? Well, the part where the vines and stuff were growing over the temples, I think, was very pretty. I did get some nice pictures. All right. But overall, it was uh, less than exciting, even though I looked forward to it for the whole trip. Compared to, like, the Egyptian pyramids. No. You just knew more about the Egyptian pyramids. But the but photographically, the Egyptian pyramids are so there, much more There's more to life image. than taking a photograph. There is? Yeah. So anyway, even though Angkor Wat was the highlight of the trip, um, I'm not spending much time talking about it because it is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. It is supposedly one of the seven wonders of the world. Of the ancient world. Of the ancient world. And we will leave it there. You should go and see it yourself. Um, I'm glad we had a lot of other interesting things to, to, do and see. to do and see. And eat. And eat. Well, we have been eating a lot of very interesting food. One of the nice things that Oat does is they kind of combine uh, the best of of the local cuisine with uh, a, a fair amount of... Things Western that we cuisine. know and love. <laughs> right. So we did try a lot of the cuisine that uh, the countries have to offer. And I can't even name it all, but it was a lot of noodles and no, soupy stuff. No, it was everything was made out of rice. Everything was made out of rice. We didn't have a potato for almost the whole time unless we had Western food. <coughs> and we were very worried about it being spicy beyond belief. I think we've mentioned about the, the, thai, thai, yeah. the thai food, and we just don't do spicy at all. Chilies. Chilies in particular. They pretty well served them. Ginger is the other one we don't yeah. like. They served them to us on the side. So yes. you could add them and make them as spicy as you wanted, which was perfect. I, th I good think they've for gotten us. the message from previous groups that spiciness is a, a definite acquired taste. Because there were several people on our trip who, you know, there was that little bowl of uh, spicy sauce in the, in the middle of the table, and they would spoon it on. We just kind of said, oh, well, that wasn't we'll us. just uh, try this without any spice. And it was usually pretty good. Uh, I had so many things I had no idea what they were. And fresh tropical fruits, astonishingly good. And you like? Dragon fruit. Now, what's dragon fruit look like? You've never, well, we've never, never seen it at home, have we? Yeah, yeah, you can buy it at home, but it's expensive and it's not good because so they have to. Like? They have to ship it so far. Yeah, it's it's kind of a fist sized with all these little things hanging off of it, uh -huh. and when you cut it open, it's either very bright red, like a beet color almost, yes. or white, or white. 
and it has a lot of little black seeds in it, like strawberry seeds, but they're buried within the flesh. So it looks speckled. And it's, to me, it's not very tasty. I mean, no, it's not a bad taste. It just has almost no taste. It's kind of neutral. It's mild. It's like jello. Yeah, and fresh Gelatin. papaya. Oh, that was so good. And then you've got a chance to try durian, too. Durian is a, <laughs> is a fruit I've been hearing about for 20 years. It looks a little bit like a jackfruit, which is kind of a big green uh, oval with... Yeah, big. I mean, it's, with, it's the size of a watermelon. With, what do I call it, sharp spines on the outside. Not really thorns, but you wouldn't want to hold on to it hard. And apparently the durian smells like dirty feet and is so potent that hotels will not, not let you bring one to your room. One of the first times that we encountered it was in an elevator. Right. And we were going to our room, and somebody else there had, had a bag, one. and it, 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 it hadn't been opened or cut, as far as we know. And we got in the elevator, and we thought, oh, my God, somebody really smells bad. And it's not cheap either, even even if you buy it locally. So this was my first chance to finally taste a durian. I told the guy that this is something that was on my list, and he made sure that I got to. And, and you tried durian ice cream. And I had durian, <laughs> which helped a little. So I would say the taste overall to me was kind of meh. Not, not good, not bad, but the the smell is not worth contending. So the trip was exciting. We went for 19 days, and multiple plane rides. Oh, tired and, of flying. Yes, we are. We've had six plane rides, and we're tired of packing and unpacking, so getting onto the cruise for 28 days is going to be a real pleasure where we need to, can just leave our suitcases under the bed and not have to uh, open them up because we have drawers and hanging space and all that sort of good stuff. And cruising is definitely a less stressful pace than an oat trip because when you're on an oat trip, there's a planned itinerary. You don't have to do it all, but you've paid for it, so you might as well. And then they build in quite a bit of free time, but inevitably the guide suggests to you seven different things you could do during that free time. And I suffer greatly from FOMO, fear of missing out, and you try to do as many of them as you can, and then it's so hot and humid down here. Ugh. Uh, you just feel like collapsing. So on a cruise ship, we can take a slightly slower pace and yes. recover from all that we saw in the war-torn parts of Southeast Asia. And the the packing is it was an interesting issue because we talked to several people on our trip who um, did not pack appropriately because they didn't believe that the temperatures were going to be what they were. And unlike in the southwest, uh, Arizona and Nevada, where it cools down at night, it can be 100 degrees during the day, but you know it cools down at night. And here in Southeast Asia... Here in Southeast Asia, it has not cooled off at all. So it is 90 during the day, and we have not had one temperature under 75 and humid. So we wore shorts. Sandals, tank tops. For the entire trip, which makes packing much easier, because I didn't bring any long sleeve shirts. I didn't bring any jackets, which I, because I've been here before, I knew that that was going to be the case. But there is a little wrinkle in the ointment in that if you go into religiously significant Uh, buildings like temples, you have to have your knees covered, you have to have your shoulders covered, goodbye tank top. So uh, there are times when you have to dress a little more covered up in respect of their culture. But otherwise, the less clothing, the better. (laughs) And 
you just find it hard to believe that people can live in this kind of and, humidity and, work. and heat and work and make it through the day every day. But obviously they do. And most of the hotels, all of the hotels we had, were all very nicely air-conditioned, which makes this heat for us Westerners uh, tolerable. If you can go and sleep and have uh, you know, your meal in, in cool air conditioning, you can take the hot during the day. We had air-conditioned buses. <laughs> it, it, I'm... This is a first world problem that I'm complaining about, but you know we had air conditioned buses. We had uh, we ate mostly in air conditioned restaurants. We, ate, we had an air conditioned room every night, and the air conditioning was good. I think if you remember uh, during the summer we went to Europe at the peak of the heat. What were we doing? In July, we went to Italy, and we found that the hotel air conditioners just were not up to snuff, and that we had several unpleasant nights because it was so hot. Whereas here in Asia, it was, if anything, it was cool, which brings me back to the packing again. If you need a long sleeve shirt, it's because the air conditioning is too strong in uh, your hotel, not because it's uh, cool outdoors. But... Uh, that made the, the whole trip tolerable, and we knew that we would be uh, able to sleep every night and, and have a a pleasant uh, eating experience. And another thing we appreciated is the low prices of, oh, of things in these countries. Yeah, and as hot and sweaty as our clothing got, it was very easy to get it laundered quickly and easily for hardly any money at all. We it was it was $2 for a kilo, which is incredibly cheap for washing and drying, and a little bit of ironing there, too. We just are stunned by the prices. And, of course, one of the other problems is we've used dongs. Oh, nips, kips. <laughs> what were those currencies? <laughs> we've used numerous currencies. And the inflation rate, it's very interesting just to see how these countries are reacting to inflation. So we use the rupiah, the kip, the bot, the reef in Cambodia, and all of those currencies that are over in the fifteen to twenty thousand per dollar. So when you go into a store and you look at the price and you go, "Wow!" and then you do the calculation, "Oh, that's only a buck." <laughs> and then- you, you get a you get a bill and it's a a twenty thousand dollar. With a with a dollar sign, a twenty thousand dollar note, and you say, "Oh, this is a lot of money," but in fact, you can buy a bottle of coke with it. It's less than a buck. <laughs> <laughs> and unlike Europe, I think we mentioned this on our last trip that we went through all of Europe uh, on a, on the last cruise, and we didn't spend any cash because everybody wanted. Plastic. Well, in Asia, that is not at all the case. Well, in this part of Asia, and well, there, well, when we Singapore, went to Singapore, they, yeah, but they were they were much more cash oriented than they. But, they were happy to take plastic. And w- another heartwarming thing was some of the poorest countries were quite willing to take crisp dollar bills, which <laughs> made us very happy. Because I don't know, I had a hard time doing the math when there's too many, too many zeros in there. I lost the decimal point yeah, sometimes. Unlike, unlike in Europe, the year, the dollar is still a viable currency in almost all the countries. We could spend dollars, although it varied b- between the countries, and we're not sure exactly why. If you come this way, you have to bring, and we've had several rejected, you have to bring not new notes, but they can't have any writing on them, they or can't be, be damaged at all, they can't be torn, and they shouldn't be too old, you know, and crinkled up. 
And that's because the salespeople who take it to the bank, the bank won't take it. Otherwise, they would be happy to accept them from us. Yeah, it, yeah, it has nothing really to do with the vendor. It's just that the banks won't take it, so they can't convert it into a local money. So that's uh, <laughs> turned out to be quite interesting. And, you know, I think it's worthwhile comparing Singapore to the other Southeast Asian countries that we visited. So we visited Thailand, Cambodia, Laos, and Vietnam as part of the trip, and we started our trip in Singapore and ended it in Singapore, so we had kind of a nice way to make comparisons. And Singapore is just an island, but because of good management and a lack of involvement in war since World War II, has done a fabulous job of educating its populace, which is very varied. There are people there from India, from Malaysia, and from China who all live in harmony with one another. They're almost all very well educated, almost all drawing a salary that many Americans would envy, and living a life of prosperity and cleanliness and good organization and traffic rules. Uh, we saw very few scooters on the highway because Singapore has a fabulous metro system. You can go anywhere in air-conditioned luxury. All the maps are lit, was reasonably priced. are lit up so you know where you are and when to get off and the announcements were intelligible. If we had subways like that in our country, I know Americans would love to take them. So Singapore was like this little oasis of uh, development yeah. and normality well, and, for people like us and with regular rules that we could understand right you know in terms of traffic and of course they wouldn't allow any gum gum's been illegal in singapore <laughs> for 40 years gum and we didn't see any on the ground either did we? Uh, well and and the train station was immaculate yeah. and the trains didn't have any graffiti written on them or anything so it was a, a very, very pleasant impressive. experience and even though it's fairly small we rode for over half an hour on the train and it was on the subway. And yeah. On the subway, and it was we didn't leave the country, so it's not that small, but it's it's smaller than one of our states. So that brought us back to Singapore, and I also should mention that uh, Singapore is kind of a benevolent dictator. dictator. It was very interesting to see the other three. Well three of the countries that we visited, Laos and Cambodia in particular, were called communist countries. Vietnam today. too. Vietnam too. Yeah. But Vietnam a little bit less. But communist does not mean that uh, the will of the people is uh, respected. Or share and share alike. Yeah. And these countries, we were a little surprised that our guides had to be quite cautious about what they talked about with us. And that there were certain topics which they were not allowed to mention. They were very afraid that word would get back to whomever, that they had criticized the government in some way, and that they would get in trouble for it. And it's very clear to me, as I think about other communist countries we've been to, that inevitably communism, no matter how good it sounds on paper, ends up being a dictatorship, because there are no checks and balances built in, and someone rises to the top, and his friends and family rise to the top right along with him, and they make all the money. All our guides talk to us about how poorly paid the government officials are because they don't need to be paid because there's so much graft and corruption. And the, anything you want done that involves a government person, he said they not only want payment under the table, they want the whole darn table. <laughs> um, and they were very bitter about it. So they really only felt free to talk to us when we were inside the bus. And even then, sometimes they were nervous because there was a bus driver on that bus. 
and they didn't necessarily know what his political inclinations were. And it really made us reappreciate freedom of speech, even though it sometimes is a pain in the neck in our country. And, and the topics were not all that controversial. I mean, whether we would talk about education or family planning. Or their history. Or their history, right. The guides, uh, the guides that we had were with us for several days which is a really nice experience also, rather than just having a, a step-on guide who gets on the bus and takes you for the day and brings you back, and then you don't see him again. Our guides were there for multiple days while we were in the country. So the guide would say, I can't talk about that, wink, wink, which means that we can revisit this when we are in a private setting. <laughs> or on a boat in the middle of the river. We right, talked one day right. Too. private setting meaning that there are no prying eyes or that, ears or ears that could be listening to them. I was rather shocked by that. I mean, we don't really hesitate to criticize almost anything, and and certainly there would be no retribution for that, at least uh, in my experience. It was universal that they were all um, very cautious about what they could say beyond the usual, you know, this is the site that you're seeing and the history of it and that sort of stuff. So... The world is not like it is in the United States, and although we talk about freedom of speech, there are a lot really of people have had it curtailed big time. Yeah, that's uh, quite interesting. Well, I don't know if we need to talk much more about this trip. This was uh, the RV Navigator, RV being part of the topic there, uh, podcast, and uh, it has delved and, off into... And the podcast for December always talks about Christmas and Christmas gifts, and we've been rather remiss in that category And we as have well. to say that in Southeast Asia here, they celebrate Christmas big time. Oh, it was incredible. The displays, and in our hotel in Singapore, they put up, what was it, a 12-foot Well, they first put Christmas up this big tree. plastic tree that was 15 feet high. Very nice. And then we came back the next day, and they took it down. And they we said, you know, what's the deal? Uh, you know, just kind of a conversation we weren't criticizing them at all but we said you know what's happening and they said oh got a fresh tree from the united states can you imagine what that cost fresh trees had, are very expensive when you a, buy a them 10 or 12 foot oh, fresh pine tree it smells so good from the united states that they put up in the lobby and we were like you got a tree from the United States. That must just cost you an arm and a leg. I don't know. And they're playing the incessant Christmas carols. <laughs> the lobby. Was, and, and this is uh, before Thanksgiving, our Thanksgiving. Oh. And, you know, so the next four weeks, they're going to be playing Christmas. You know, I haven't noticed anything around the ship yet, any Christmas no, stuff. Not yet. Well, that's kind of good because you get really tired of that fast. <laughs> well, it keeps it from being special. If so... We arrive home on December 23rd at 8 o'clock p.m., uh, just in time to celebrate Christmas with our family. And Christmas this year is going to be a little bit light on the present side, from our point of view. Uh, you might want to uh, take a look at, <laughs> if you're looking at something a little bit RV-ish, you might want to take a look at the best RV Christmas sweaters for this holiday season. We have a list of them here, showing... Some of these uh, totally tasteless, totally tasteless sweaters, ugliest you... sweaters ever, but RV in theme. And I haven't talked anything about technology, have I? No. How's the Wi-Fi been? Good. Very Almost good. everywhere. Very good. Even on the ship. You know, no complaints. Able... Yep. However, 
I'm not real sure that this podcast is going to be uploaded. Of course, if you're listening to this, uh, that issue has been solved. But being that we're on the ship, uh, that means that I'm going to have a challenge in putting up the podcast. And, of course, the webpage, the too. If you're looking for a nice Christmas present for your local RVer, then one of these sweaters might be very appropriate. But if you can't find the link because it's not on our website, it's because I was had trouble putting up the website. As everybody knows, uh, we create the the podcast uh, as we are doing now. We're talking into uh, it's being recorded on a hard drive locally, but then I have to edit it and I have to then upload it to a server back in the United States uh, through a process called FTP, and I have to upload it and. That takes some time because it's a fairly large file that has to be sent uh, quite a long distance. And I don't know whether that's going to work. And, of course, the same thing happens with the the website. I use a a program to create the monthly podcast episode website, and then it has to be uploaded too. And those files are done using FTP. Sometimes they restrict FTP use because when you're using FTP, you're almost always uploading fairly large files and taking up a lot of the bandwidth. And most uh, people don't, most uh, providers don't really like to have that. So they sometimes restrict FTP. So if these, <laughs> but as I say, if you're listening to this, then you've already problem solved. The problem has been solved. But if there are some delays uh, any month in getting the podcast, either listening to it, or if you are waiting for the web page to be created, or it's been created but it has not been uploaded because I've had some FTP problems. But after the holidays, we will be home again, we will be RVing again, and hopefully these electronic issues, technology issues, will plague you far less than they have the last few months when we've been so far away from home. But I should mention also that uh, Wi-Fi on the road has been good, and WhatsApp has been That's the, the universal app that everybody in the world uses but us. For chatting? For sending, for sharing photos, sending text, sending text, for sharing phone, documents, sharing documents. So I don't, I'm not sure why in the United States we don't use WhatsApp, but we don't, and the rest of the world does. So that if even our uh, the car that picked us up at the airport, the driver WhatsApped me and telling me, you know, where are you and what's the. So it's almost live. I mean, it's a chat. So. You need it even if you're not planning on using it because uh, the people that are going to be expecting you will be using WhatsApp. I mean, it's just ordinary. You just, they use your U.S. phone number and they dial you. And and yesterday I was able to call my sister back in the U.S. with WhatsApp. She had it on her phone too, and it's a free phone call. Yeah. All the way over here. And I think we've mentioned prior to this uh, about a VPN. Uh, which is a virtual private network, and a VPN allows you to <laughs> place yourself back in the United States for technology reasons. Uh, so, for instance, I was very surprised that I was trying to renew our the, the license, license plate. plate. I was trying to renew those, and because it expires in while this two-month period while we're gone here, so the state of Illinois sent me a note that said uh, you have to renew your license and I tried to log on and I couldn't log on to their website, so I used our VPN 
which is a secondary service that you buy, or eh, you better buy it, that you buy. You subscribe to. Yes, that you, you yeah, purchase but it's, it. So it's another app, and what it does is, is that it intercepts the Internet connection, and it provides a tunnel back to the United States that most services cannot detect. So you can choose where you want to be. So I said, I'm in Chicago. So the VPN connected to a server in Chicago, and that server uh, was the was me <laughs> for the time being. And I was then able to transact <laughs> with the state of Illinois. I don't know why they would care where I am in the world it's when I renew my driver's up, license. Probably. It's probably just how they set it up for security reasons. So that works with uh, Netflix. It works with uh, a lot of other services, even things like uh, reading the local newspaper. Well, that really fries me. I try to read the paper from home, and I try to read the paper from Florida, where we stay in the winter, and I get emails with click-through links, and with one of them, I can just click through wherever I am, and with the other one, I have to be on a VPN in order to read the articles. Yeah. I have no idea why. So it's unpredictable. It's so we use a product called iVPN, which I which we have no connection with, but it seems to work pretty good. And you can place yourself any place in the world. And some people, for instance, put themselves in London so that they can watch the BBC for free. Oh. <laughs> so the BBC app uh, will not let you connect out, outside the country. Out of- so that's another... Another issue. So, dear listener, uh, we want to wish you a Merry Christmas. And we we will be at home doing our usual New Year's Eve show, complete with champagne and noisemakers. No deviation from the normal routine. Uh, Since this seems to be everybody's favorite show of the year, (laughs) we better do it right. And between now and then, we will be several days in Indonesia and then... We come back to Singapore for a little while, a couple days, and then we head off to Malaysia, where we'll be doing other parts of Southeast Asia. So that takes us right up until December 23rd, when we will be arriving home once again. Incoherent. Incoherent, with a few days of... uh, No, we should be better by then. Oh, by the time we do need the podcast, we'll be in great shape. (laughs) We'll have time at least to buy champagne. (laughs) We'll do our best. Should we wish to use it? I don't know. But you may be hearing a different story when you uh, hear us next. But we do appreciate you listening. Thanks for sticking with us, especially those of you who are looking for RVing news. I always feel slightly guilty when we wander off and do other things. But we're glad that you keep listening. We appreciate it immensely. And send us a note if you uh, care to communicate with us. We would love to hear from you because we just sit here in our room reading the emails and waiting for somebody to send us something interesting. An RV question to get us back on track. Merry Christmas and Happy Thanksgiving, which was just over. And we will see you in the next... Happy holidays. Happy, just overall, happy holidays. And we'll see you in 2024. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy, stay happy. Happy travels. Bye for now.